Well, some years back, um, Ellie wanted to go skiing with her friends. Well, I gave her the green light, and I accepted the responsibility to take care of the kids while uh, she was gone. So Ellie went off, and, uh, you know, we had a great time at home. We ate a lot of unhealthy food, uh, played games, and the house got really messy during that time. And then I realized the day before Elliot uh, was supposed to come back, and I said, whoa, mom's coming back tomorrow. We got to get the house back in order. And quickly we went to work cleaning up, throwing out the trash, vacuuming, and just, just, just getting everything back in order just in time before Ellie got back the next day. Well, Christ promised that he is coming back again. But we really do not know when that time will be when he returns. And sometimes we tend to just kind of relax and, and just take it easy. But as we have studied earlier from our series in First Thessalonians, that Christ's return is imminent. What will Christ see us do when we return? Well, to, from the two previous passages in our studies, Paul looked into the future concerning about the second coming. Today, in our passage, uh, Paul redirects our focus back to the present. Now, while waiting for the Lord's return, we need to be active preparing ourselves for His return as I was preparing for Ellie's return. As you recall, uh, when we were going through First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and more specifically verses uh, 9 and 10, the Thessalonians were described as believers that love one another. And Paul challenged them to excel even more, to continue to do what you're doing, and, and even express more love toward one another. And I see it, uh, throughout this uh, book in First Thessalonians, uh, First Thessalonian, that uh, that one of the key ingredients of a flourishing church is love. We're we're loving one another. It describes the inner working of the local church, and Paul highlights three groups of people that they ought to love, and more specifically. The Thessalonian was to demonstrate love to the church leaders. In the second group, they were supposed to demonstrate love to the church family. And thirdly, demonstrate love to God. Well, let's look at uh, the first targeted group, the church leaders. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll take a look at verses 12 and 13. We ask you, brother, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, but at peace among yourself. So the believers are to demonstrate love toward the church leaders. In order for the church to flourish, 
the relationship between the pastors as well as their flock must be healthy. Some people think that pastors and ministers, uh, they just come and show up on Sunday and they really don't do too much the rest of the week. But in reality, the work, they work tirelessly for the kingdom of God. They wear many hats. And members expects them to be experts in all of those areas. You know, it takes anywhere between maybe 15, 20 hours or so to prepare a sermon. And really, that's just the very beginning. There are additional Bible uh, lessons uh, that need to be taught and prepared. Numerous uh, meetings, uh, committee meetings to attend, uh, sick people to visit, uh, future programs to plan, marriage problems to counsel, worship services to organize, emails to answer, funeral, weddings, as well as baptism to perform easily. Ministers spend 50 to 70 hours working every week. Although a minister is surrounded uh, by people every day, yet it can be a lonely job. It is emotionally draining having to handle problems that's brought before them regularly. It's probably one of the most difficult and demanding jobs. And because there is so much stress, Study shows that 70% of preachers in the Christian church drops out of ministry during the first 10 years. Therefore, we see here, the Apostle Paul encourages the believers to respect the, respect the church leaders and to esteem them very highly in love. Now, the word respect has the root meaning to know or to, to know more than knowledge, but to know experientially with the understanding from, from what they know experientially, they acknowledge and recognize and to appreciate and to respect their church leaders. There are three things that uh, they are to know. First of all, they know that the church leader labor among them. This word labor means work to the point of exhaustion. They're, they're worn out serving. Secondly, they are to know their worth because they are over the believers. So in other words, they, they have the responsibility to lead the church. And thirdly, they are to know that they, they, they care so much for the flock that they admonish them, or they warn them, or they correct them. People need to know all of the different tasks that the church leaders do so that they well acknowledge, so that they well to recognize them, appreciate them, and to respect them. And we see in verse 13, it records the second way we ought to treat the church leaders. They are to esteem them very highly in love. This word, esteem, means to think well of. But Paul said more than just esteem them, believers are to esteem them very, you know, very highly in love. It means to do it beyond all measures. I like uh, 
message translation of this verse, and it, and it reads, Overwhelmed them with appreciation and love. Well, how, how can we esteem the church leaders? I mean, one, 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 one simple way, it's just, it just to compliment us. Verbally or write a um, personal note sharing specifically uh, what, what you appreciate about what we do. You know, I keep uh, these uh, encouraging notes, um, and whenever I get discouraged, I pull them out uh, to uh, be reminded of uh, my ministry here. Well, another thing that we can do uh, is to ask the church leaders how you could pray for them. Then, uh, after hearing... Uh, about the prayer request, pray for them right away. And even better, uh, afterward, to follow up by asking them specifically, hey, how, how was that? Go, how's that specific thing uh, is going? Yesterday, I got a text um, asking, a member asking how my dad is doing. You know, he has Alzheimer. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I was, was expecting that, and, and I was touched. And I felt really value. You know, my, my parents uh, have been vaccinated, and I have been vaccinated. And, and actually, it's, uh, it's been a year since I've been out in California and in sabbatical. I couldn't go out, but the, uh, I bought tickets, and, and I'll be going out a little later on this, this year. Another way to esteem to us is to ask how to, you could support us. You know, when, 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 when I communicated to my small group uh, that was flying out, one of the members quickly offered to drive me to the airport. Um, I, I, I just felt really appreciated. Last Sunday, um, a couple that I've been uh, counseling to, um, uh, brought over dinner and, and some fruit. Um, you know, I, I, I just, oh, I, I didn't expect that whatsoever. Um, uh, they wanted to show appreciation for me. I felt highly esteemed. We see here that Paul closes this section by asking the believers and the leaders to be at peace among them. Now, this exhortation is given to the leaders as well as to the believers. The followers of Christ is not to criticize or grumble or to oppose the leaders. One can differ, but not to oppose. Unless, of course, he has acted contrary to Scripture, the, the flock really should, should submit to the leaders. Yet, on the other hand, the leaders uh, are not to abuse the authority that God's given to them for personal gain. See, these actions will bring disharmony. God's kingdom cannot be further. Therefore, Believers as well as leaders are to be at peace among them. Now, Paul then transitioned from, from how the Thessalonians ought to demonstrate love toward the church leaders to how the Thessalonians ought to demonstrate love toward the church family. So, this is the second group of people. Let's take a look in verses 14 and 15. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. 
See that no one repays any, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You see, since we are family members, we need to pay attention to those that need some little extra, extra love. Paul, in this patch, passage, named three targeted groups that needed extra love. And they're the idle, the faint-hearted, as well as the, the weak. Now, the first group to pay more attention to, uh, to demonstrate more love, are, are the idle. The word idle is actually a military word used of a soldier who did not keep rank. He is insubordinate and rebellious. This word uh, also uh, gives us the understanding that a soldier uh, who failed to keep his post. In other words, he, 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 instead of staying where he's supposed to be, he leaves early or he might not even show up. In anticipation of Christ's return, we need to be busy sharing the gospel. However, Many believers have gone awalled on God. And these members need to be admonished and corrected. Out of love and concern for their well-being. This idea of admonish carries the idea of putting, putting sense into someone's head or alerting him of some serious consequences of their action. Now, to be a flourishing church, members need to confront sin out of love. Now, the second uh, target group here uh, that needs some extra love are the faint-hearted. Now, instead of being firm in correction, like, like we, we saw in the idle people, the faint-hearted need a gentle touch. Paul instructed them, to uh, instructed the Thessalonians to encourage the faint-hearted. Now, th th this second target group of uh, church family that need more attention are the faint-hearted. These are the ones that lose heart. They give up easy when faced with a tough time. They want to do what is right, but yet uh, they're emotionally just uh, depleted. They need encouragement which literally means to come alongside of another person. Instead of yelling at a faint-hearted person at a distance, one needs to come alongside, come close and speak tenderly to them. The Thessalonians were under persecution, and the faint-hearted um, were discouraged. And Paul instructed the brothers and sisters there to encourage the faint-hearted and to point them to God, who gives us hope. Uh, there was a couple that's been struggling uh, in their marriage, and, and they were losing hope and, and wanting to give up. And, 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 and I was sent them scripture just to remind them who God is and remind them that God's the one that can strengthen them and, and to turn the very difficult obstacle into solutions. Now, within the spiritual family, there's members that mature faster 
than others. And we need to be careful not to despise or look down at those that might not mature as fast. Instead, we are to be patient toward them. Now, this word patient means long fuse. Although uh, one might be frustrated or might be even be provoked to anger, we, we see that this person yet chooses to restrain himself from getting upset. He's able to endure under affliction. And let us uh, look at the, the final point in this section in verse 15. It says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See, for Christians, the most painful disappointment does not come from the unbelievers, but from believers within the church. It is disheartened to see brothers and sisters harming one another, especially if one is trying to help the other. When we are mistreated, uh, it is natural for us to want to see retaliation, which is actually just the opposite of patient. And we see here, Paul instructed uh, the Thessalonians, uh, instead of retaliating, they were to seek to do good. Or in other words, to show kindness to them. This word, seek, gives the idea of hot pursuit. You know, just, just not have hardly, but really going out of your way, working hard to seek that which is good. Apostle Paul also says something similar in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. And it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay it, saith the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And, and for by so doing, you will heap burning coal on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Even when someone sins against us, we are to return good. For their evil. This behavior is really supernatural, and it can only come from the Lord. And this is really a true evidence of love. Now, we have seen Paul instructing the Thessalonians to demonstrate love toward the church leaders, and then we, we have just completed the second group uh, where they demonstrate love toward the church family. Now, this third group is that they are to demonstrate love toward God as they worship corporately. Now, Paul is talking about the corporate life of worship uh, in this final section. It's not referring to our individual life toward God because all the verbs here uh, are plural. And the first three imperatives actually goes together. They, they are act of worship. Let us read this in verses 16 to 
18. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, these three commands to, to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks are summed up as a single unit that talks about understanding the will of God. So these three imperatives are a worship directed toward God. We worship and love God by rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. So let's, let's look at each one of them a, l- a little bit more closely. When Christians are living in the center of God's will, they can rejoice always. This requires trusting in the Lord. Instead of complaining, we are to rejoice. May we see life through the lens of the Lord. See, in spite of whatever the circumstances, we are to rejoice always. Now, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. You know, if, when things are going well, one, one is happy. But when things are not going according to our plan, then we're not happy. And joy is totally different. It does not depend upon circumstances. God gives us inner peace, although outwardly things might be chaotic. Our focus is not on the circumstances, but our focus is on the Lord. And that's the beauty of having a close relationship with God as we worship Him by praising Him and by rejoicing in Him. Now, the second part of this triplet is to pray without ceasing. I love uh, Chuck Swindoll's definition of prayer. He says, prayer is one's personal conversation with the Almighty God. That includes both expressing our concern and listening to his response. It is also an authentic seeking of his plan as we adjust our plan to match his. In other words, you know, really, really seeking out what, what, what is God's will, <laughs> you know, understanding that and, and, and whatever it is, I'm going to join what he's doing. We love God by having consistent personal conversation with him throughout the day. It speaks of how we are enjoying one another's company. Pray without ceasing carries the idea of consistency. It does not mean that a person is on their knees praying all day long, but rather a picture of one that might have a nagging cough, you know, <laughs> and then a little later on, <laughs> and, 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 and it's, a, it's, a, it's a little a communication with the Lord throughout the day. In other words, we are worshiping God through prayer. It is like texting your best friend throughout the day and letting them know what's going on in your life, or if you have a problem, that you quickly text them to consult what needs to be done. Likewise, we are to pray without ceasing. And the third uh, triplet is to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it does not mean 
that in everything give thanks? No, no, does it mean for everything give thanks? It means that in every circumstances, no matter where God might have put us, no matter where to where uh, what what difficulties that we might be facing, even those circumstances, we can give thanks for all that He's done for us. You may be praying diligently that God will change your circumstances. You can still give thanks to God because you know that He is in control. He is sovereign and, and that He desires the very best for us. For this is the will of God. You know? We uh, have uh, talked about uh, demonstrating love toward God in worship directly toward um, building up one another in His Word. So this is the second part. In the final four imperative in this passage, we see that the first two of these four are negative, as recorded in verses 19 and 20. And in the second, the final two uh, of the four imperatives are positive, recorded in the next two verses, verse 21 and 22. But let's take a look at verses 19 and 20. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. See, this word quench means to extinguish a smother. See, there is great power in the Holy Spirit. When you smother it, you're going to lose power. We extinguish or smother the Holy Spirit when we ignore His leading and when we do not obey the things that the Spirit commands us as recorded in God's Word. This command not to quench the Spirit is really intertwined and connected to the next verse in verse 20 where it says, do not despise prophecy. Well, first of all, let me, let me just uh, define what prophecy is. Prophecy is the capacity to receive and speak forth truth from God. Well, that can be done in two different ways. One way is the ability to predict or foretell the future. However, because Scripture has been completed, foretelling of the future is not necessary because it's all in the Scripture. The second way is the ability to proclaim God's Word or foretelling God's truth. Do not quench the Spirit by treating prophecy with contempt. Probably some of the Thessalonians, like the Corinthians, place great value upon more spectacular gifts, such as speaking in tongues, and place less value upon teaching and prophesying. And as a result, they quenched the Holy Spirit, and, and they were not upholding God's Word. Instead, we see that uh, in verses 21 and verse 22, those, the, the two positive 
imperative, and they're they're all interlocked with, with what we just talked about. It says, "But test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil." You know, one can react with one of two extremes concerning about prophesying. Or prophecy as a whole. One, we could, uh, one extreme is totally reject all teaching, all prophesying, even though it comes from God. And that's why in verse 20, we see Paul say, do not despise prophecies. Or secondly, the other extreme is to accept all teaching without testing it to see whether it comes from God. We are to cherish God's word. Yet at the same time, may we not be, may we not blindly accept what people say, even if it is from the preacher. We need to test it by scripture. The only way for us to know truth from error is to know the word of God. I love. Uh, uh, what was quoted in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans, they were dis- and they're being described here. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the words with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. So when Paul went and, and, and preached the word, he said, hey, I, I'm not going to believe what you just said, but I, I'm, I'm going to need to check the scripture to make sure you're right. We need to hold on to that which is good and get rid of those things that are bad. If we receive counsel that is good and it is in line with scripture, we are to hold fast to it. If the counsel is harmful and not in line with scripture, then we should reject it. If we are to love God, we need to embrace God's word. And when we talk about our relationship with God, we need to take sin seriously. You see, Satan camouflages evil by making it appear gorgeous, beautiful, pretty on the outside, but deadly on the inside. He would want us to just, just hey, just, just take, take a little simple taste of this evil. It's no big deal. Before we know it, we'll be hooked onto it. Therefore, if we really love God, we must abstain from every form of evil. If, some, if something even have a hint of evil, get out of there. If there is a chance that you will fall into a trap, leave it alone. Be cautious as we, have, as we are confronted with sin. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, while we are waiting for the Lord's return. God's people, us, we are to demonstrate love toward, toward our church leaders as well as toward our church family and also toward God. It describes the inner working 
of the local church. You see, a flourishing church is identified by how its people relate to one another and to God. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And may we as God's family represent the Lord well by loving one another and by loving God. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of the church there in Thessalonica, Lord. Uh, we've learned so much uh, throughout this uh, epistle. And Lord, uh, we understand the importance of uh, demonstrating love, and particularly toward the church leaders, church family, and particularly you, Lord. We pray that um, we learn to embrace you, embrace your word, value one another, give each other benefit of doubt, and we seek peace. Because to do all of this, we need you to be working in our lives. And when we demonstrate this, it really draws attention that this is something really unusual and can only happen because of you. And may we draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.